Good morning and welcome to Peachtree Christian Church. I am very, very happy to see each one of you this morning and to remind us all that our mission here is to be a cathedral for the whole city, all of the city. And happily, there are many ways for us to bring this about. If you would please read carefully all the details that are in the announcement part of your order of worship. And if you have questions or want to ask something about them, please come see me in the gathering space here in the Welcome Center after this service. I'll be delighted to help you connect with what you're looking for. Especially on the back of your order of worship, notice the caregiver luncheon. I'm going to just tell you the truth about this. Every single one of us is on a continuum. We're either going to be a caregiver, we are a caregiver, we have been a caregiver, or we're going to need a caregiver. Two of the best tools we have to deal with this are knowledge and, and awareness. And that's what you'll get at this luncheon next Sunday down in Burns Hall after the worship service. Please come, bring friends with you, and we would appreciate an RSVP so that we have enough food. Our culinary club is going to cook for us, so it's going to be delicious. Speaking of delicious, our annual spaghetti lunch and cake auction is in two weeks. Start baking now. Bring your baked goods. Bring your checkbook. This is for a fundraiser for our youth mission work, and it's great fun. We look forward to seeing everybody there. Now, would I invite each person, member, guest, visitor, to sign the welcome pads. Those are the black folders on the end of each pew, and share them with everyone on your pew, please. We will continue now in worship with silent prayer and our organ prelude. Please find the call to worship as printed in your order of service. Please stand. Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob. 
Proclaim, give praise, and say. God, we give you praise for this gathering, and we consecrate ourselves to follow you. As we worship you and celebrate the great things you have done for us, may you open our eyes so that we may see. Open the eyes of our mind to learning and understanding. Open the eyes of our heart to love and compassion. Open the eyes of our soul to see our spiritual selves during our time of worship. This morning, Lord, as your word is proclaimed, let our hearts and souls respond with joy. Joy for Christ's grace and mercy. Joy for his healing and restoration. Joy for his embrace as he welcomes us into a family where we are fully known and fully loved. Transform and reform us, O oh God. May our lives be lived to the glory of your Son, our Savior, that we might share comfort and hope to those who grieve. And now may we pray together the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. this time, I invite you to please join with me in praying the prayer of penitence that's printed in your order of worship. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. 
we are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, to the glory of your name. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. It is always good, right, and appropriate for us to be a people that have peace on our lips and in our mouths. And given the tragic events of this weekend, it seems only that much more fitting that we now stand and say to one another, peace be with you. Our hymn of preparation is hymn number 576. My faith looks up to thee. We will sing stanzas one and two only. Please remain seated as we sing together.
Yesterday morning at the Tree of Life congregation, a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue in the neighborhood Squirrel Hill in Pittsburgh, a man shot and killed 11 worshipers on their holy day of rest. Some of you may know that my wife and I began our marriage and our ministry together in Pittsburgh. In fact, I used to get coffee at a shop called Commonplace, only a few blocks away from this synagogue, working and planning for our own faith community in the city. We come to this table remembering that this is a meal that we have inherited. It began as the Passover, a symbol and reminder for the Jewish people of God's protection and deliverance from oppression. He heard their cries and brought them out. And Jesus, Jewish Messiah, takes this very meal into his own hands, into his own body and says, do it in remembrance of me. He shows us that God not only shelters and saves, God, the God of Israel, suffers with us. As we just alluded to in our hymn, Christ himself becomes the Passover lamb who is sacrificed, who suffers human violence in order to deliver us. And so as we receive this meal, let us learn from him solidarity and compassion for our brothers and sisters who suffer hate and violence. As we prepare to remember Hear that hymn's final verse, which we refrained from singing so far. While life's dark maze we tread, and griefs around us spread, be thou our guide. Bid darkness turn to day, wipe sorrow's tears away, nor let us ever stray from thee aside. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And therefore we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we give you thanks for these gifts that reveal your compassion, your protection, your love. We pray that as we receive them, they would truly be realized in our lives, in our community, and in our world. Amen. Hallelujah. Christ, our Passover, 
is sacrificed for us. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving.
this week, the world tried to get us to believe a story that's a story of hatred and anger and lies and murder. And as Christians, we do not receive it. We receive the gospel of Jesus Christ who says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So everything we do, starting here in worship and going with us out into the world says, I do love my neighbor, especially the neighbors I don't know, the ones I disagree with, the ones who have different ideas than I do. It's a commandment. And one way we reach out is by empowering the word of God to go out in the world and reach those folks. And we do that now as we give our tithes, our gifts, and our offerings to the work of the kingdom. God bless you. The anthem that we sing now was first composed for the wedding of His Royal Highness, Prince William and Miss Catherine Middleton, and first performed in Westminster Abbey on the 29th of April, 2011.
confidence in your love. We offer these gifts to you knowing that you will enrich them, empower them, and help to expand your kingdom as we individually and collectively reach out to the least, the lost, and the lonely. Be with us, Father, in all that we say and do, and we give these gifts to you with our thankfulness. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Please remain standing for the reading of Scripture. Today's sermon text comes from the Gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter, verses 46 through 52. Jesus and his disciples came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So, throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. It's very clear to me, and I hope and trust it's clear to you, that we are dealing with a lot. Not simply as people of our society, but as members of your ministerial team, we're dealing with emotions. We're dealing with things in the world, and it feels as though right now what we need before we think about this text is an incredible exhale together. But in order to exhale, you have to first take air in. So let's, let's breathe deeply for a moment. Now I feel like I need to provide you with something of a mental inhale and exhale. So I'll tell you, on Friday night I threw a Halloween party, and it was a costume party. The theme was to come as some literary figure, and so I dressed as an old man. I had a cardigan and a cane and old man glasses and went to the Halloween store to buy some of that spray you can spray in your hair to make it look gray or white, and I sprayed it all on there. But most people said they couldn't tell I sprayed anything on at all. <laughs> so I got that going for me. Let us pray. Creator God, we're thankful for the life that you have given us. We confess that there are many ways in which we sully that good gift. But we believe that you've sent your son Christ into this world to redeem, renew, and restore us. Thank you. We believe also that you sent your Holy Spirit to be our guide and friend. We're thankful for we need a guide and friend. Send your spirit in this very hour for you and I know without you I can do nothing and we ask that you send your spirit to help us 
to understand this vignette in the life of Christ, that it is more than understood with our minds, but it's implanted in our hearts and will bring renewal to each one of us. And wherever we go, that we can bring that same renewal out into the world. It is in your son's name who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Many of you know Ryan and Olivia Stewart. They're members of our church. They're deacons. And they're also some of our closest friends. They just had a new baby, Elise. And while they were expecting, countless occasions I would sit with Ryan and look at him. And I said this. Well, everything is about to change. And it's going to be okay. In fact, that's kind of what I say to anybody who's about to have a kid for the first time. Everything really is about to change, and yeah, it'll be okay. I don't tell them how it'll be okay, because the truth is none of us knows. <laughs> we just know that it will be okay. It'll be fine. If you read Mark's gospel closely, this text is a hinge text. Everything is about to change in the gospel. Jesus has been healing and teaching as an itinerant teacher in the land, and now he's about to process into Jerusalem on that fateful day where everyone would shout Hosanna to him and call him the son of David. Here is the turning point in the text, and on that turning point, he heals a blind man. This is nothing unique to Jesus. He's healed a blind person before, but here's what's unique about this little vignette, at least one thing. Earlier in the gospel, the disciples bring blind people to Jesus to be healed. But here, they try to keep the blind man, he has a name, Bartimaeus. They try to keep him away. I wonder why. Perhaps the disciples were getting caught up in the spirit of things. Jesus' star was rising with the people. Maybe they looked over at old Bartimaeus and thought that he was basically small potatoes. Then Bartimaeus shouts out, Son of David, have mercy on me. This is the first time in Mark's gospel when Jesus is called by that royal name, Son of David. It implies that he is in the lineage of the great King David. It implies that he is the one that the Old Testament has been talking about, that would come like David as a new king to bring God's ways to bear in the world. See, from the beginning of the gospel to now, most of the time, Jesus is referred or refers to himself as the son of man. But here, Bartimaeus calls him son of David. In a moment, the rest of the, the community will call him that. But it's Bartimaeus who blazes the trail. What does it mean that the blind man can call him by this title? For one thing, it means that even though he's blind, he really can see. Bartimaeus sees who Jesus really is. He is the one they've talked about for generations. He's the heir to King David's throne, who's going to bring God's new world wherever his feet take him. There's a freshness about Bartimaeus's eyes, perhaps, that maybe the disciples or others who knew Jesus better didn't quite have because they were so familiar Standing, I'm standing in my study, looking at my wall of books, trying to find a particular thing. Have you ever been frustrated by looking for a thing that you know is there, but you still can't find it? Boy, that was like, let me just say, that was like a slight groan from the little man. 
from standing there, and I'm just barking and being upset about it. And somebody from across the hall who's been in my office a thousand times and looked at my books a thousand times came in to help me, and they were standing there looking at the books, and then they couldn't find the same book. I had a buddy show up to the office that day. He just kind of slid into my office without even saying hello. He looked up and he goes, hey, that's an interesting title. And he grabbed the book we were looking at. Sometimes the familiarity makes us blind to fresh eyes to see what we can see. Well, how does Jesus respond to Bartimaeus' plea for mercy? Christ calls him over and asks a very simple yet a very profound question. What do you want me to do for you? Now, I've been wondering all week, how would I answer that? How would you answer that? You and I, we believe in the divinity of Christ. So ostensibly, I could ask you, if you were having a conversation with God and he said, what can I do for you, what would you say? I even posted that question on Facebook and I got what I considered to be a lot of very earnest and heartfelt answers. But... My suspicion is that they are answers that were edited, rural peace, stuff like that, rural peace, all this nice stuff. The truth is, I know that we all pray for the world to be better and for cancer to be gotten rid of and all that, but I wonder what it is that we actually ruminate on in our minds before God. What is it that we think more about moment to moment? you to say if Jesus were to appear and said, what can I do for you? Would it be financial relief? Would it be success? Love? For Bartimaeus, there is no question. He springs up to his feet. He throws off his cloak. He wants his sight restored. He wants restoration of the brokenness that is so very obvious in his body. And with his faith, the gospel tells us that he is healed. It is interesting when you study the biblical witness carefully enough, when you study the great tradition of our faith carefully enough, you find out that salvation isn't limited to this spiritual aspect of us. It's not reducible to simply getting out of hell and getting into heaven. No, there's more. We read about salvation from the beginning to the end of the scriptures, and we find out that it means wholeness. Restoration. It concerns the physical being put right. It concerns the relationships that have been broken being restored. Here it is. Bartimaeus knows what he needs. And Jesus deals him with his brokenness. Now Jesus tells the man that he should go on, go on about his way. Go on now. Get on with your life. And Bartimaeus does, but he doesn't go off different direction. The, the gospel ends by telling us that he follows Jesus and follows him, quote unquote, on the way, which is a moniker in the gospel of Mark used to describe the path of Christian discipleship. And Bartimaeus proves to be a man of great faith. In his blindness, he could see the truth of Christ. And when he asked, what can I do for you? He didn't have frivolous answers. He had something of great importance his wholeness before God restored. Do you recall the time that Jesus asked the disciples, what do you want me to do for you? How did the disciples answer in the Gospel of Mark? 
prestige, glory. What can I do for you? Just let me be the first in your kingdom. That's all. Let me sit at your most noble place at the table. Nothing big, Jesus. Just let me be the best. These were disciples who were supposedly already on the way to Jesus. You know, I think it's true what they say. You don't know what you have until it's gone. Because the truth is, is we can become pretty complacent. How often do you think about your feet? I assume we don't think much about our feet. I was walking in San Diego a week or two ago a lot on boat feet. Not a good idea for me. I've got arch problems, and so I inflamed my heel. I think about my foot a lot now. You don't think about your feet much. It's just, it's just they're there. And until you get up in the middle of the night and you, and you put your feet on the floor to get up to use the restroom and you can't stand on one of your feet. We can become complacent with what we're around all the time. Bartimaeus shows what it's like to really see who the disciples were always with. Here's a warning to us as a text office, dear friends, especially for those of us who have feel like we've journeyed with Christ on the way for some time now, to never get comfortable. Never get comfortable and think that what we need from Jesus is anything but the full restoration of ourselves, healing for our brokenness. We mustn't forget that too often our familiarity makes us blind to our need or to the needs of others or even to God's movement within the world. Now, I, I do believe that Christ Jesus is near to each of us. In fact, this sanctuary was built to remind us of that. So almost in every window, besides the two Old Testament windows, you have images of Christ, and the majority of them, he's kind of gazing out over this congregation. It's meant to remind us that God, we never escape the gaze of God. God is always present to us and looking in our direction. So, we must remember that Jesus has ways always saying to us, what do you want me to do? you. The challenge is that we do the great work of Socrates, to know thyself, to, to look at ourselves well enough to know what our needs actually are. Where are we actually focused? If Jesus is looking to us and he's offering healing, do, do we know where and what to ask? Maybe our answer when Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you, should sound like this. Heal me of my vanity. Take away my fear of people who are different than me. God, I'm negative and critical and mean. Help me to quit gossiping. I quit learning. Help me be a learner. Help me be brave to change because you have to change and listen. Friends, Bartimaeus shows us that even in blindness, faith can make us foolishly complacent. I challenge us all at this very moment to take a deep dive into ourselves. Know what it is that needs fixed and bring it before our Lord. For that is the beginning of change in the world. Let it begin with us together.
our choir sings an anthem entitled The Fellowship of Christian Love. Thank God for the fellowship of Christian love. The text continues. We share our mutual joys, our mutual burdens bear. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. Our hymn of dismissal is hymn number 300, 432, 432, O Christ, the way, the truth, the life. Please stand. go transformed by the mercy of Jesus with open eyes to run after with abandon and boldness his wholeness in this world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, go in peace. (laughs) 